So glad you could be here this morning to come and get to worship the one and only, the one and true living God. Amen. What an awesome God He is, and He reigns from heaven above, right? With wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome God. If you would turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll be reading from verses 9 through 12 this morning. The 1957 World Series was played by the New York Yankees and the Milwaukee Braves. Don't know anything about it because I wasn't around, but I read about it, and it's a great story to start off. Some of you uh, may be familiar with this game, but there was a well-known Hall of Fame catcher that, that played for the Yankees. His name was Yogi Berra. And there was a, also another great player that played for the Braves, uh, Hank Aaron, very uh, well-known baseball player and both Hall of Famers. But Yogi Berra, as the batters would come up, he would do his usual thing and he'd begin to talk uh, trash and talk chatter to the batter as they would come up. And Hank Aaron stepped to the plate and Yogi said to him, Henry, you're holding that bat wrong. You're supposed to hold it so you can read the trademark. Aaron didn't say anything. Isn't this how it always happens though? But when the next pitch came, he hit it into the left field bleachers. After rounding the bases and tagging up at home plate, Aaron looked at Yogi Berra and he said, I didn't come up here to read. <laughs> A little bit better. <clears throat> when we, that wasn't the two, but that was just another one. So, But when we think about this story, it almost gives us that oh moment, right? Oh, he got him, didn't he? We see, you know, Hank Aaron didn't come to the plate to read this trademark or listen to this uh, guy talking trash to him. No, he had one purpose. He had one focus. And if you know uh, baseball, uh, I would be good with just a base hit. But Hank Aaron wanted to hit it over the fence. And guess what he did? He accomplished it. Well, why did he? Because he had purpose. He had a purpose for being up there. He had a purpose for doing what he did. And this morning, I want to begin a journey for the next several weeks in the morning lessons. I want to take a serious look at the characteristics of a Christian. You know, the characteristics mean a feature or a quality belonging typically to a person, place, or thing and serving to identify it. I want us to be able to look at ourselves and look at our lives and see if when somebody looks at us and looks at our characteristics, if they see a Christian. When people see our characteristics, when they see that they are what they're supposed to be, then guess what we become? We become light bearers. We become children of God. And I want us to dig in in the next several weeks and look to God's Word to see some of these qualities that we as children 
of God have to possess. We as Christians who are striving to do, do God's will, that should be our purpose. Well, what is our purpose? This is such a powerful verse. Isaiah 43, 7. The more I read it, the more I'm in awe by it. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, yes, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. The purpose of our lives is to bring glory and honor to the Lord. And by doing that, so many blessings come from it, right? Including the main one, heaven being our final resting place. Amen? We see that by doing God's will, it changes our character. Not only others around us see it, but we affect our own lives and begin to do what God wants us to do and bring glory to Him. But sometimes... We act as though comfort and luxury are the chief requirements or our main purpose for life, don't we? But really, all that we need to really make us happy, oh man, I like this, is something to be enthusiastic about. Are you enthused to be a Christian? Or is it just a burden? Are you excited to be a Christian are you thankful that you get to be a child of God? That you're added to His body? That He thought that you were important enough to become a part of His kingdom? That's really important when you think about it, ain't it? The awesome God thought we were important enough to be a part of His family. He didn't need us, but He wants us. So this morning, the title of this lesson and the next several over the weeks is Living a Life with Purpose. Living a Life with Purpose. Before we get into the, the verses, I do want us to look real quick at verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul, as he's about to close this letter out, he says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the, in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. And then he goes into talking about in verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. The will of God for us is for us to be sanctified, to be set apart, to continue to be more holy and holy and holy. Think about that. Sanctification. And then he tells them uh, to abstain from sexual immorality. In verse 8 he says, Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Now watch what he does in verses 9 through 12. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. 
that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Verse 10 tells us that they were already doing this brotherly love, but they were also uh, not only doing it in that, uh, the, the congregation there at Thessalonica, but they were doing it to the whole region. But Paul says, We urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. The first thing that I'd like for us to consider is that thought. In order for us to have a characteristic like Jesus, in order for us to have a Christian characteristic, we must increase in our love more and more. The Greek word here, and and many of us are familiar with it because we have a city in the United States uh, that uses this Greek word, Philadelphia, right? You know what Philadelphia, the nickname for that city is, right? The city city of brotherly love. But a more in-depth look at that word meant love for blood brothers and sisters. Don't you love your family? Don't you love them so much and you do anything for them? The concept, though, is not only do you love your innermost family, but you love the brethren, too like your family. You see, because really, if you're in Christ, we all kin, right? We all kinfolk, right? And we all kinfolk by blood, too. Every single Christian in here is kin by blood. The blood of Jesus, amen? What a blessing, man. We are actual family. We're actually blood-related family. But here's the question. Do we have a true love and concern for the brethren like that? Or do we just be nice to each other because we're here on Sunday morning and we're here for worship and we're in the same building and then if we see each other in the community, we start ducking and dodging. There's Derek. Let me get away from him. I ain't trying to talk to him. Boy, I can't be seen right now. See, a congregation that loves each other, like they did at Thessalonica, changes the dynamic of the congregation. And it bounces out. It can't help but bounce out. Because you love each other and you're there for each other. Do you have situations? No doubt. I remember fussing and fighting with my sister all the time, right? But I loved her. Don't let somebody else say something about her, right? Here I am, big brother coming to the rescue. Probably get beat up, but I'd try it, right? How does it make you feel when someone really cares for you? How does it make you feel when somebody's actions toward you is a loving manner? Doesn't that feel good? 
when someone's really trying to help you and not just trying to hurt you or talk bad about you? The beauty of this characteristic is we all have the ability to do it. And as a matter of fact, we all have the ability to be really good at it. As many of us here are. But Paul says, even if you're good at it, (laughs) even if you're great at it, increase more and more. Never settle where you're at. The Greek word for increase right there, it means to excel or to exceed a fixed number of measure. So you pick the number that you're going to do, right? You know, in, in the work-related, uh, people that work in production, you got to get this such and such amount done, right? And when you get that such and such done, then you've met your quota. Paul says, even if you meet your quota, continue more. Give me more. More and more and more and more. Keep getting better, right? Because this is the will of God, your sanctification. To continue to get more holy. To continue to get more holy. How does He do it? He sets sets it up with us being able to grow in these characteristics of a Christian. And the first one is a very simple one. A very well-known one, right? Love one another. Ephesians 4.2 says, Bearing with one another in love. And Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And I love this part. In honor, giving preference to one another. The preference is towards the other, not myself. When we see each other on Sunday mornings, it's a great time to love on each other and visit and encourage with one another. We increase our love for the brethren, no doubt, when we see each other here. And you know what that does? It strengthens our sympathy for those in need, don't it? And it it creates patience for those who are struggling, don't it? (laughs) What about this one? It also creates tolerance for those who we may disagree with. Because my mindset is loving the brethren. There's not going to be a time where I come to the point where I'm not going to love my brethren. It's not an option. When visitors come into the building and they see this and they feel this, you can feel a loving place from a hateful place, can't you? I hate to say this and it makes me so sad, but I have been to congregations where not one person has shook my hand except the preacher. One person. I'm talking about the Lord's people. And one person shook my hand. You know me, that didn't last long because I started talking to some folk. Hey, how you doing? What's your name? They probably was looking at me crazy, but that's all right. But that's something people want. It's contagious. 
And I want to be a part of a loving family, don't you? I want to be a part of a family that loves. We all want to be cared for. Or somebody to check in on us. Or see how we're doing. Or just to tell us, Hey, I was thinking about you and I love you, man. I love you. Have a good day. But what else does Paul say? The second thing he says is that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. Aspire to strive earnestly to make it one's aim. That's what aspire means. To make it one's aim. As a Christian, we have to be a type of person that avoids unnecessary contentions and issues. We are to live at peace with men and show the example of Jesus in the way we live, right? What a blessing it is to be around peaceful people, ain't it? Remember Jesus when He came to them, what did He tell them? Peace be with you. Jesus. He could have said anything at that point, right? But what does He say? Peace be with you. I love going into a place that's peaceful. But look at the flip side of it. What if you go into a place that's filled with drama all the time? How comfortable is that? How comfortable does it feel to be in a, in a life that's full of drama all the time? It's stressful, ain't it? You remember the, the analogy that I gave about Haley Durrett a couple weeks ago with her gun shooting at the target? The more she shot at the target, the better she would get to hitting the bullseye. Same concept. Is it your aim to live a quiet life? Setting an example for others. We have to have a pleasant demeanor about us. People should be drawn to us by the way we present ourselves and they look at our lives. How can we be a light bearer? How can we be effective as a Christian when somebody thinks about our life and we invite them over and they're like, there's no way I could go over to that house because I don't even feel safe. We can't be lights that shine out to others if we have nothing but issues following us around. You know, the Snoopy character or Charlie Brown, uh, the guy with the, I don't even know his name. I should know it because I watched him all the time. You know, with the dirt flying around him. Linus. Pigpen, there we go, great. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 131. I want to just look at this psalm real quick, just real fast. This is a small psalm, great psalm by David. Look at what he says right here, David. He says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters. <laughs> nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother, 
Like a weaned child is my soul within me. And then he finishes with, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. We have to make it our aim and our goal to be calm and quiet and under control. Amen? Philippians 4.9, Paul says this, The things which you learned and received and heard from me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. We talked about it in, in class today. What God says comes to pass, right? So Paul says if you hear and you've listened and you've received the things that I've said to do, guess what's going to happen if you apply them? Peace will be with you. And here he says, lead a quiet life. Now does that mean get yourself away from reality and not be around anybody while I'm living this quiet life? No, that's not what it means and we all understand that. Don't have a bunch of drama in your life. The third thing. He says, not only should we aspire to lead a quiet life, but to mind our own business. We as Christians can't be busybodies. Amen? 1 Peter 4.15 says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Proverbs 26, 17 says this, and I want you to think about this application. I want you to visualize this one in your mind. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. A lot of you have dog owners, right? I mean, a lot of you have dogs, right? Let me... But you grab that dog by the ears and you lift it up, what's going to happen to it? If you start pulling that dog by the ears, I used to have a little wiener dog and we'd pull it by the ears and he'd yelp and every time, right? What if I grabbed them ears and started lifting them up? What would happen? There'd be some problems, right? That's what happens when meddling in a quarrel starts to happen. We can't be meddlers in other people's affairs and be effective as God's people. We can't be a people that talks about each other. How real is our relationship with each other if the truth is when we walk away from that person, you already know we're about to start talking about them, right? In the first century, all they had was each other. And because of that, the church grew and grew and grew. Because the brethren trusted each other and had each other's back, right? I love it when somebody has my back. We can't be one way to someone's face and then turn right around and talk bad about them. We can't do it. We have to be a people that is focused on doing God's will and not causing more problems. And I want you to take this one and think about it because it's such a true application. Proverbs 26.20 says this, Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Wait a minute. 
That is a total common sense aspect, right? If there's no fire, wood in the fire anymore, guess what happens? The fire goes out. And where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. When we stop throwing wood on the fire, it goes out, brethren. And to have a characteristic of a Christian, we cannot be in other people's business. Meddling, trying to figure out what's going on and what's wrong. Now, that's not to say that we don't care about people. I don't... I don't need to go that other way because we understand the concept. If somebody's hurting, if somebody's struggling, if somebody needs help, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be there. Amen? But to just be in somebody's business, to be in their business, that's not a characteristic of a Christian and that's not going to make us successful. In the context of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, here's what was happening, which is going to lead us into the last point. Everybody thought Jesus Christ was about to come back. And because of that, guess what they did? Quit their jobs and just started relaxing, right? That'd be a great thing to do. Jesus Christ is coming back, y'all. So guess what? I'm just going to stop working and I'm hoping that y'all will take care of me, will y'all? I'm going to go get by the pool. If y'all could help pay my rent, if you could help uh, pay for my car notes, if y'all could help me, I'd really appreciate that. Is that going to work? Y'all good with that? Ray's got me a little bit. So, <clears throat> I mean, that was not happening. So what is Paul trying to do? He's trying to encourage them and keep them focused on the matter at hand. And we're about to get to it in verse 12. Stay out of people's business and you'll be successful because guess what you're doing? You're focusing on yours. Which brings us to the fourth point. Paul says, mind your own business and to work with your own hands. Isn't there something to be said about a hard working person? Farmers, y'all understand that concept, right? A hard worker doesn't come by too often nowadays, seems like, right? And when you catch one, boy, you want to hold on to that one, right? (laughs) Any bosses in here understand that? Proverbs 14, 23 says, In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. What were they doing? They were setting themselves up to let everybody else take care of them. And that is not to say, if you are struggling and you need help, that you should feel bad, because that is not what he's saying. If I need help, guess who I'm coming to, y'all? I'm coming to you, and I'm going to ask you for help, because guess what? I really need it. But if I take advantage of it and I begin using it for my own gain, that is not a characteristic of a Christian. The upper class of the Romans and the Greeks, they couldn't stand manual labor. And that's why they owned all these slaves. 
But God's people are hard workers, ain't they? Think about Nehemiah building the wall. Think about Jesus. Peter and the apostles, fishermen. Paul, a tent maker. If you have the ability to work, we should work, amen? Yes, some people can't work. Some people don't have the ability to do it. Some have already worked and are retired, and what a blessing that is. But Paul is setting us up for success in an everyday life aspect. This is beautiful. This is beautiful because why? Why is he setting all this up? Look at verse 12, brethren, and I'm going to be done. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside, man. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus commanded them way back then, didn't he? And guess what the focus is when we work? Guess what the focus is when we're loving? Guess what the focus is when we're creating this quiet life with no drama? For other people to see us. For other people to see the sanctified people of God. This is the will of God that you be sanctified. Set apart. Ask yourself as we close, brethren, how is your love for each other? How's your life? Is it quiet? Is it filled with a bunch of drama? How's your work ethic? How's your minding of your own business? We all have different struggles and we all face them every day. But as, you, as we close, I want you to think about this comment. I was talking to a preacher the other day and he was talking about these quotes that he had heard and he loves to use and, and different things. And I didn't really catch who said this comment. But man, it has stuck with me since he said it. He got this quote and the quote went like this. I would rather see a sermon than hear one. I would rather see a sermon than to hear one, right? It's so easy for us to sit back and say, you need to be doing this and you need to be doing that and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right? And do we need to say that at some times? Absolutely. Paul said, I told y'all that we, was, <laughs> we shouldn't have went on this boat ride, but you did it anyway, right? But you could see Jesus in Paul. You could see the light shining out of him because he, guess what he says? Even though I told you that, take heart because my God is going to deliver us. Not only my God, but your God too, if you want him. When people see us walking like the Lord wants us to, we change people's lives. And I close with this verse. For you were once darkness, brethren. You were once in the dark. No hope. No salvation. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. There it is. There's the charge. Walk as children of the light.
Maybe you're here today and you are still in darkness. Maybe you're here today and you aren't a child of God. Maybe you're here and you just ain't doing the things that you're supposed to do and you need to make it right. And you want to make it right. And you want to do the right thing. You can come forward and ask for prayers. You can pray right there. You can do whatever you need to do to make it right. But here's the deal. Make it right. But if you need to obey the gospel, come forward and do it right now. Come before uh, these brethren who will love on you and be so excited to hug your neck and be ready to encourage you because you've done the best thing you could ever do and that's become his child and be added to his body by believing who he is, what he did, dying on the cross, being resurrected, by repenting and turning from your sins, by confessing his name because you're not ashamed to say, you know what, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then being baptized in water for the remission of your sins. What a powerful thought. Forgiveness of sins is what you'll receive by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it comes through obedience and baptism. Not magical water, obedience. And then living a faithful death. Paul said, walk as children of the light. Whatever you need, Whatever you need help with, come right now together. We stand and sing.